Hello, and welcome back to the Money Bear Podcast. As of recording this, this is July 5th, and yesterday was our one-year anniversary of the Money Bear, which is really cool. So yeah, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. We had over 50,000 downloads in or we had almost 50,000 downloads in the last year, which I mean, for a first year, I feel like it's pretty good, right? I mean, I don't really know that much about podcasts or stats. So either way, I'm really grateful to all of you guys for listening to my rambling sessions. In looking at the data of the last year's podcast and like what has the most listens and things like that, shockingly enough, our very first episode had by far the most listens for the podcast for the entire year, which I don't know if that's unique. I feel like it's unique because there are very few podcasts that I've listened to that I go back to the very first episode. So I think that's really cool. And of course, the very first episode is my story. So what I decided to do in honor of our one-year anniversary is just really do a deep dive into my story. So last week, if you haven't listened to it, I would recommend going back and listening to it. But last week, we kind of talked about my childhood all the way up through high school and kind of what my life was like, as well as what my money story and my relationship with money was over the years. And so now we're going to lead into high school and beyond. I think we'll probably get through high school through college. I'm trying to keep these at like an hour or less because I don't want to bore you guys to tears. (laughs) I know you're not bored, but yeah. So we left off with an introduction into my ex who still owes me about 60 grand to this day, where I had graduated high school. And in high school is when I met my or my senior year was when I met my boyfriend at the time, the one who I would continue to date on and off for the next 10 years. Now, I say 10 years and dating lightly because during that period of time, while we would always kind of find ourselves connecting with each other again after like he or I would be in a relationship, then you'd break up with that relationship, get back together, et cetera, et cetera. That was kind of how it was for us for a decade until we dated again, seriously, when I was living in Chicago. But to kind of paint a picture of how that relationship started, I was 17 years old. He was 18 or 19, and he had just enrolled in the Marines and was going to the community college. We went to high school together, and it started off as this like super romantic thing in my, you know, youth where I had heard rumors in high school that he had a crush on me, but he had never even spoken to me. And he was like one of the popular kids. So I was like, I was like a drama nerd. I was a musician. I was not somebody who I would have considered as a popular kid. I was like a fringe kid where like some of the popular kids were friends with me and I knew everybody and everybody knew me, but I wasn't like in their core group. And I had heard of him. I need to like find a name for him because I don't want to reveal his identity, even though obviously if you know, you know, let's call him Tyler. Okay. Tyler. So I had heard of him and had heard rumors of his attraction to me. And one day when I was at a party, I like was feeling super outgoing and I just started talking to him. And as I tried to start talking to him, he just completely froze. He looked like a deer in the headlights. And I was like, all right, I'm going to move on and not talk to him anymore because this is awkward. And then the next day I got a text message from my friend at the time who was like, oh my God, 
Tyler just texted me asking for your number because he thinks you're so beautiful. He thinks he, he she's like, she's sending me screenshots of his text message or copying and pasting. I don't know if we could do screenshots back then. We didn't have smartphones. And he's like, you know, she's the most beautiful girl in the school, blah, 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 blah. And so, of course, I was like, swoon of, yes, give him my number. I can't wait to hear from him. And she sends him my number and he like texts me instantly. And we're just like, like balls deep from that moment on. You know how it is in high school where you're just like, oh my God, somebody likes me. Therefore, I love them. <laughs> like for so much of my dating history, I feel like my mom would always ask me like, why do you change so much in relationships? And she's like, you know, they fell in love with who you were in the beginning. And it took me a really long time to fully understand that who I was in the beginning of a relationship was always performing to get them to like me. I would essentially pretend to be whatever it is that they needed me to be in order to get them to love me. You know, I was about to say I was in high school, but like I did this so much throughout most of my life. It's only probably in the last like two to three years where I finally been like, nah, I'm not here to be whatever you need. I'm here to find a person who loves me for who I am. And I also love for who they are. But for most of my life, and I think that we are socialized to do that as women, my approach was, let me make you love me. Let me do what I need to do in order for you to love me. And to be fair, it's kind of what we're told in media and in movies and in books and things like that growing up is like, you will give everything to be with the person that you want to be with. And like, I mean, I the number one thing that comes to mind is Twilight. Like Twilight was huge when I was in high school. And if we really look at that story, Bella is giving up her entire life, her entire identity to be with. Like she's literally dying to be with her person or who she thinks her person is. That's kind of what we're told is normal. And meanwhile, Edward doesn't have to change a damn thing. So I don't blame myself for that in my youth. It just took me a really, really long time to learn why I did that and to identify that I was doing that and to kind of correct the course. Does that have anything to do with money? Yeah, I actually think it does. It's this idea of the woman putting in all the sacrifice and putting her partner before her. Well, that resulted in me constantly going above and beyond for people, constantly giving my money to other people, constantly doing super extravagant things for other people while I'm getting the bare minimum in return, things along those lines. But we'll get more into it here in a more chronological order. But that's kind of who I was, is I was catering my personality to be a personality that was pleasing to him. And being 17 years old, this was obviously a very pivotal time in my life. And who he wanted me to be was like this very sweet conservative Christian woman or girl, really, who was all innocent. Like, I can't tell you how many times he was like, I just love how innocent you are, which is so gross to me now as an adult. But I mean, to be fair, he was also young at the time, but like gross luck. And so anyway, when we started dating, he had enrolled in the Marines and was getting ready to leave. So we dated for about a year before he left for the Marines. And then when he left for the Marines, I decided to enroll in community college. I had originally thought I was going to go up to Roosevelt up in Chicago, but Roosevelt did not give me any financial assistance. And I realized I was going to be about 80 grand in debt for a creative writing degree. And I was like, I feel like that's probably not the smartest move. And so I actually, the day after graduation from high school, I 
hopped on a plane with my mom and I moved to Orlando, Florida because my aunt was living in Orlando, Florida at the time. And I don't know if this is still true, but once you become a resident of Florida, the tuition to the public schools is extremely inexpensive. And at that time, I was like going to have to pay full price until I was an official resident in Florida. But I think it only took like six months to become an official resident. And so I was setting up all that stuff in place. And then I was going to go to UCF, the University of Central Florida. And once I transitioned from out of state to a resident, my tuition was going to go from like 20 grand to like $2,000, something insanely cheap. And so that was my plan. That was why I was like, all right, let's go to UCF. It's a beautiful campus. It's cool. It's far away. I'm going to go try this. And I lasted in Orlando for about two months because I could not for the life of me manage money. I was far away from home. I was living with my aunt who I barely knew. And I was supposed to be paying her rent and I couldn't afford to do that because even though I was working at Barnes and Noble, probably 20 plus hours a week, every single dollar I had just like burned a hole in my pocket. And so doing that and like having literally like, I think I had like $180 to my name the entire time that I lived in Florida with my aunt. I remember being like, all right, I'm just going to have my mom manage my money for me. I'm going to call her every time I want to spend money on something. And I'm going to ask for her permission on whether or not I can do this. And all it took was me doing that one time where I said, Hey, there's this book that I want to buy at Barnes and Noble. It's $10 and it's a bunch of creative writing prompts. And, you know, I just feel like this will help me with my writing. And she was like, no. (laughs) And in that moment, I don't know why that particular instance just like shattered the glass for me. I was like, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can't. This is not the life I want. I don't want to live here in Florida with no money and no idea how to manage it and having to ask my mom for everything. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Even though it's my money, I don't want to. I don't think I can. I don't think I'm built for this. And so I think it was literally that day I went to my manager at Barnes & Noble and I said, I think I'm going to move home. And my best friend at the time was there visiting me. And I looked at Delena, who is my like high school best friend. And I was like, I think I'm going to move home. And she was like, fuck yeah. And I was like, should we go to like the Harry Potter premiere tonight at midnight and then just drive back to Peoria? And she was like, yeah. So that's what we did. I literally same day quit my job at Barnes and Noble packed up my car, which was like a shitty Dodge neon. That was clearly like, it was a bad paint job. So I think it was stolen. And we hopped in the car, packed it up with my bird and everything. I had a parrot and well, we must've left my parrot at home while we went to Harry Potter premiere and then came back and left. But yeah, we went to the midnight premiere and immediately after the midnight premiere, we started driving up to Illinois. And it was like over 24 hours of driving, if I remember correctly. And yeah, that was such a wild thing that I did. But it was what it took for me to accept my decision or desire to go to community college. So 
I like would not as somebody who had achieved quite a bit in my academic career and was always a hard worker. I thought that if I went to community college, I would just be a loser and like only losers went to community college. And so in a panic, I was like, I'm going to UCF. It's far away. That's still cool. Right. Like people will think that it's cool that I'm going to school all the way down in UCF or in Florida. And it's almost like I needed to have that moment of, I don't like the lack of control that's in my life. I don't like the lack of support that's in my life. I don't want to be a full grown adult yet to accept going back to Illinois and attending ICC, good old community college. And I'm so glad I did because I had some incredible experiences while at that school for a year and a half. And even though I had FOMO while all my friends were, you know, going to college and, like having that first year experience, that first semester experience, being able to move into the dorms and be on your own for the first time ever. I felt so left out. I felt like a loser. I felt like, oh my God, I was supposed to do something great. I was supposed to do something incredible. And here I am stuck at my community college, even though I you know, was smart. I had all these skills and I did all these things to get into a good college. And yet I was at my local school. And obviously, like that was 19, 18 year old Chloe thoughts. I know now that if I could go back and do it all over, I'd spend more time at that community college because it was paid for. I didn't have to pay for anything. But at the time, it felt like a devastating blow to my ego. But it ended up being one of the best things for me because while I was there, I got at a 4.0 the entire time I was there. I got to work at a creative writing workshop where, or not even a creative writing, it was just a writing workshop, which writing has always been my passion or was my passion at the time. It's not as much my passion anymore. I'm good at writing, but it's not like my favorite thing in the world to do. But I got to help people learn how to write essays and learn how to express themselves through writing. And I became really good at teaching through that. And it just helped me realize like, wow, yeah, I could I could provide value. I can do hard things. I can teach. I can guide people. I can mentor people. And I loved it. I loved helping people do better with their writing. I loved teaching. I loved taking really complicated things and making them easy for people to understand and even fun. So that was a really wonderful experience. And I wouldn't have had that had I not gone to community college. It was after community college that things kind of started to fall apart for me. But to go back to the Tyler relationship... We continued to date through his boot camp in the Marine Corps, where he was actually out in San Diego. I, <laughs> what do I want to share about that's relevant to my story? At the time, I was really transitioning into who I really wanted to be, or at least the start of it. And with that came me really not believing in a God anymore, at least not a specific one, and really entering into the agnostic territory. But in order for me to settle into the agnostic territory after spending my entire youth and my high school years in a very religious community where it was like cool to go to FCA, which is the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and go there at 7 a.m. on a Friday morning, eat the donuts and sing the gospel songs and listen to the sermons by kids who were like out partying and getting drunk, but would like come into FCA and like speak the word of the gospel, <laughs> which is so funny to think about now. I wonder how many of them are still like identifying as Christian. I can't imagine that many, but at the same time, who knows? But I was such 
a drinking the Kool-Aid person back then. And it was because it was what everybody did. I mean, it was my school. My high school was like the type of high school where people, because everybody was wealthier than we were, people would like go on Bible camps to this place, the specific place. And I'm just like waiting for the documentary to come out. There probably already is one called IHOP, the International House of Prayer. And all the cool kids, all of them, I'm telling you guys, the football stars, like the hot ones, the popular kids would all take this trip to IHOP or Miracle Camp up in Wisconsin. I think IHOP was down in Missouri. I don't know because I never got to go to any of them. And I mean, honestly, thank God for that. No pun intended. But this is such a weird recovered memory. I remember everybody coming back from that and being like, I have such a high for the Lord. And they're like, they bonded in the way that summer camp can only bond people. And they're talking about how people at IHOP, like their friends were speaking in tongues and like all this shit. And I was just like, wow. So that's like how entrenched I was in the community is like, I was jealous of the people who got to go to IHOP and Miracle Camp and have these like religious experiences, which I'm using air quotes. So by the time I got to college and started to, you know, get some distance between Tyler and I's relationship, where he was very religious as well, and his family was very religious, they were Baptist in a kind of oppressive way. And I remember his sister actually wrote me, and I was 18 at the time. She was probably 26 or 27 when she wrote me this letter. She wrote me like three to four page letter about how she hoped I would accept Jesus Christ into my heart, even though I had already like been a confirmed Catholic for, I don't know, 10 years. When do you get confirmed? A while, right? I don't remember. But I was a confirmed Catholic and she wrote me a like three-page letter about how she doesn't want me to go to hell <laughs> as an 18-year-old versus like a 26-year-old. And I was just like, wow, I'm really living with like a boyfriend who I wasn't living with him, but I was like living my life with a boyfriend who doesn't see me, doesn't understand me and thinks I'm going to hell. And his whole family thinks I'm going to hell. And that kind of sparked this hatred in me for religion. And so I do think sometimes we have to almost swing in the opposite direction in order to find our happy medium. And that was me is I started with like this. I was a deeply religious person in high school. And then in my early years in college, I switched to the complete opposite where I hated all religion. And I called myself an atheist or an agnostic. And I was just everything about religion made me angry. And it wasn't until I became an adult where I was like, okay, we can find some happy medium. We don't have to hate it. It's good for people. As long as they're not trying to push it onto other people, there's nothing wrong with this. And if it does good for these people, great. But anyway, that's kind of to give you context on where I was mentally at the time. I was starting in the distance of him being in the Marines. I was starting to evolve as a person and thank God for that space because had I not evolved, I probably would have continued to date him. And I don't think that would have ended very well, even though we dated on and off for 10 years. So he and I break up, we get back together, we break up, we get back together. And it just turns into this really toxic situation where he's verbally abusive. He's very controlling. He and I get into like screaming matches and he's cheating on me and talking to my friends behind my back and things like that. And by the time, I think it was two years into our relationship, we finally broke up. He was deployed and he was... I think already starting to talk to somebody else. 
or having a relationship with somebody else who essentially had a relationship with her while we were also dating. And I continued to send this man care packages while he was deployed because I don't know. I guess part of me still was hoping that he'd come back into my life. And for why, I don't know, because I was young and dumb and I guess brainwashed into believing that what he and I had was love. But he was always grateful for the packages, but in kind of a distant sort of way. And I remember spending a ton of money putting those together for him and did that all the way through his deployment. But by the time he and I broke up, I was preparing to leave for college, for actual university. So I had spent my time at ICC at the community college. And to go back to money, (laughs) I was essentially working like two or three jobs. And this has always been my story. I've always at every point in my life, in my youth and my younger years, I always had multiple jobs. So I, at the time, was working as a writer's assistant at the writing lab. But then I was also working at Barnes & Noble. And then I also worked at The Buckle, which The Buckle was like a jean store where you would essentially sell people jeans and other clothes and you worked off of commission. That was a miserable job. I hated it. And of course, all the money I made at The Buckle, they encouraged you to buy the clothes and wear the clothes. So pretty much all the money I was making at Buckle went towards buying more Buckle clothes. So... (laughs) I wasn't good with money, guys. Um, So that just burned a hole in my pocket, even though I was working three jobs. And by the time I left for Iowa, I had at the very least saved up a couple, I want to say like at least $1,000 to kind of help me with the adjustment of living on campus. And yeah, Iowa was kind of a shock to my system going from you know, community college where I was still living at home and still had my entire support system there to going to an out-of-state college without a car because the car broke down like within the first two or three weeks of me being there. I was shook. I was still very much figuring out who I was. And with me and Tyler being broken up, I was confused and didn't know what I wanted, but knew that I was ready to start dating and meeting new people. And of course, in the tradition of Chloe, I got, how many jobs did I have when I first started there? Where did I work when I first started there? I believe my first job there was at the bread market, which is where it was like a grocery store, like a co-op grocery store where I I was a stock boy. And while I was working there, I also ended up taking a job at a place called the Oberman Center for Arts, where I got to work on really, really cool projects and helping my office essentially with like email lists and putting together things for them and newsletters and helping with party planning and things like that. That was a really amazing job. But as I was adjusting to life in Iowa, I was also adjusting to going from being like successful person at my high school in a very small town to a very small fish in a very big pool. And that was, again, a hit to my ego because I was a very good writer and I had won multiple competitions in my small town for my writing skills. And then going to Iowa, my whole goal was to get into the creative writing program there. And I really struggled in college to get good grades, to stay motivated. And very quickly, 
fell into depression and the depression hit me really hard and fast. And I think it was just because adulthood or even the pseudo adulthood in college and the drinking along with like already having clinical depression, it just messed me up beyond anything that I could have anticipated. And there were times in my depression, despite having multiple jobs that I would sleep like 16 hours in a day. And with that, I relied heavily on the money I was making at my jobs to essentially give me like these dopamine hits. So all the money that came in also all went out. And I remember taking out extra student loans just to cover my bills and things while I was going to college. And I remember when I had almost two grand extra, which at the time was a lot because my rent was only like $600. remember getting two grand extra to kind of hold me over for a semester. And I blew through that in a month. And I remember panicking on like, how am I going to pay rent? How am I going to feed myself? What have I done? I don't know what I'm doing here. Oh my God. And I just could not get a grip on anything. So my depression resulted in a lot of overspending. Luckily, I was so afraid of credit cards from my parents' experiences with credit card debt that I did not get into the credit card game at 18, 19 years old. Instead, I just lived life without any cash. I like anytime money came in, it went right back out. But it was really normal because that's what you did at college. But when you coupled that with depression and anxiety, it resulted in me having a lot of panic attacks, having a lot of ideation for ending my life. And it was a struggle city for a while. So I would say that in college, the depression really hit me hard, hardest from probably the end of 2010 until maybe I graduated in 2012. So it was like a full year and a half, if not more, maybe a full two years of just this real extreme depression that I just, I just remember the whole time feeling like I was living my life in a fog. And all I wanted was to feel something. And so that would result in me binge drinking and you know, getting really high, spending a ton of money on stuff that I didn't have, going to the thrift stores and selling my clothes only to then go buy more clothes that cost way more than what I sold. And it was just kind of this cycle of chaos. And it's hard to think back on now because I don't want to dwell in that era of my life. But in that era of my life, I was not myself. I like the depression caused me to stop showering, to sleep all the time, to like binge eat anytime I was awake. And I just hated everything and everyone. And I was also so pretentious too. Like I just, I thought I was better than everyone else for some reason. And I think the entitlement that I had was also probably contributing to the depression because Remember, the whole reason I went to Iowa was because I wanted to get into the creative writing program. Guess who didn't get into the creative writing program? Me. And I think that was part of why the depression hit me so hard was this moment of feeling like I was just never going to have the life that I thought I wanted. I was never going to achieve anything. I was never going to 
be this person that everybody had told me for the longest time. My, I mean, my parents recognized my writing skills as early as like the third grade. And my mom told me that when I came out of the womb and they named me, the doctor said, Chloe Daniels, that sounds like a writer. And so it had kind of been ingrained from me in me from day one that I was going to be a writer, whether I wanted to be or not. And getting turned down for the creative writing program in Iowa. Oh my God. (laughs) It was like somebody cut off my freaking head. I had thought that was everything that I had been working towards. And I had thought that it was the only thing that made me special. And not getting in just told me that my entire life, the way that I thought it was a lie. And so, yeah. That's really what spurred it on and just realizing now I was lost. I had no idea what I was going to do. And I just had to navigate this without a paddle, you know, it's kind of what it felt like. Like I had been told my whole life that my skill set was writing. And now Iowa told me, nah, sorry, ma'am. And my entitled, slightly pretentious ass couldn't handle that. So going back to money, I... During those college years, I don't love to talk about it, but let me just say I coped any way that I could and it wasn't pretty. I don't ever want to go back to that place where I essentially was not myself. I was a super angry version of myself and chaotic and very much not functioning. But after college, I graduated early in 2012 and I would have thought that would have saved me money. You would think that going to community college for a year and a half and then only going to like out of state college for two and a half years would have, is that right? Two and a half years because, or no, just two years. Cause I graduated in three and a half years. I graduated in three and a half years with two degrees and I thought that was going to save me money. It did not. I went about 80 grand in debt still the same amount that I would have gone into debt had I just gone to Roosevelt But I guess at least I had two degrees. And yeah, when I got out of school, I originally was supposed to go teach English for special education out in Compton. I was supposed to go. I got accepted into Teach for America and I was supposed to go out to Compton in LA and get my master's in special education to then be able to continue teaching English to special education. And the reason that I had applied for Teach for America in the first place is because I wanted a cool job. I wanted something people would be impressed with. I wanted to feel accomplished because at the time, teach, and I don't know what it's like today, but at the time, Teach for America was like a super prestigious program. Only the smartest of the smart, only the most talented people would get accepted into the Teach for America program. And so getting accepted felt like such a big deal. And to go to LA, which is a really popular spot, it just felt like, okay, maybe I didn't do so well in college, but at least now I have this really cool career path that like, you know, is people who are really special can do this. Like it's only special people ever get into this program. And I was like, let's do this. But I was still so freaking depressed. And When I got home, so after I graduated in December 2012, which is kind of the tail end of the recession, which, you know, my dad was still getting laid off for periods of time. The company that he worked for would do like periodic layoffs. I can't remember what that's called. But anyway, I lived at home in my childhood bedroom for a while and got back and was like, okay, I have to like study for these exams to get me into the to get my certification to teach in California 
But I'm not going to lie. The whole time I was like, I'm about to go further into debt for a degree I don't even want. I didn't want to get my master's in special education. I wasn't a passionate person about special education. I wasn't a passionate person about English, but I just felt like I didn't have any other options. It was like either go live in poverty out in Compton, going deeper into debt where you'll have no time of your own because you're going to be so strapped with learning how to be a teacher and going to school like, how do you think that you're just going to suddenly become a different person while you're where you're capable of doing this? You've barely been able to study to pass college because of your depression and anxiety. How do you think that suddenly this is going to change? But in my head, I was just like, it's got to happen. I don't have any other choice. And so I <laughs> literally, I don't, I barely fucking studied for the exams and got signed up to go out and meet the teacher and stay with the teacher for the exams out in California. And my dad was driving me up to Chicago to get on that plane to go to LA where I was supposed to sit for the exam that I didn't study for. And he turned to me and he looks at me and he goes, I'm only going to ask this once, but do you really want to do this? Are you sure you want to do this? And I was really taken aback because I was like, what do you mean? I don't have any other options. Like my student loans are about to start. I'm going to have to pay them back. I have no other job prospects. We live in the middle of nowhere, Illinois, where there aren't any job prospects, especially for somebody with an English degree or in a Spanish degree. Like, this is my only choice. And like, I kind of looked at him shocked. Like, why would you even say that? And I said, I don't have a choice, dad. I have to do this. And he's like, no, you don't. You don't have to do this. And I don't think you really want to do this. You're about to go get a master's in your first two years of teaching when you didn't even like school when you were in it. And now you're just going to like move literally across the country to do something that I don't even think you want to do. Are you sure? Are you sure you want to do this? And I just was like, shit, I really fucking don't want to do this, dad. <laughs> and he, he's like, are you sure? Because I'm only turning this car around once. And I was like, dad, I don't want to go further into debt for a master's degree that I don't even want. I don't want to teach special education. Like I'm not passionate about that. And I feel like in order to teach special education, you should be passionate about it. I don't feel prepared for this test. I don't even think I'm going to pass it. And I'm so scared about moving to Compton. Like I don't want to go be poor in LA. And he was like, yeah, those are all valid concerns, especially with my mental health and where it was at the time. It was like I was setting myself up for failure for my mental health from that perspective. And so we turned that car around and I'm so grateful that my dad asked me that. My dad's a man of very few words. He's a silent guy. And so when he does say something, I listen up for sure. And in that moment, I'm so glad he took the chance to just say, are you sure? And I don't know if that was like encouraged by my mom. I think it was just my dad knew that this wasn't something that I wanted. And so, yeah, we turned that car around and I was then faced with, oh my God, what do I do now? So we will talk about what do I do now in next week's episode to give you an update on like the relationship status of where I was at this time. I was 21 and I hadn't had a relationship since Tyler. I had like a few like friends with benefits and casual flings and things like that. But I was feeling very unlovable and I kind of hated myself at that this point in time. And so dating was really not high on my priority list. 
but I would say I was still boy crazy. (laughs) I feel like a lot of my life is highlighted in like this desperate need for love. And back in the day at this time, I was still, despite not really being in a relationship, I was desperate to be loved. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in next week's episode, where I will also take you on a journey through young adulthood and we'll hopefully get to where I finally had the come to Jesus moment of like, I can't do this anymore. So to recap, my college experience was very much a struggle. It was a struggle in every aspect in dealing with my mental health, dealing with my physical health, dealing with anything related to money. I had none and I didn't know what to do with any money I did have. And I, one thing I forgot to mention is that my constant lack of ability to manage my money and to put myself in these stressful situations over and over again, it led me to really not trust myself. And I started to believe in college that the only solution to my problems was to eventually find somebody else who could do all of this for me. Because I was like, I'm not the person to do this. I don't trust myself. And having dated Tyler for a long time, I just kind of believed that he and I would get married and he would be the one who's responsible for all this stuff, even though knowing what I know now, (laughs) he was worse with this stuff than I was. But I just believed that I wasn't the right person for the job and I wasn't going to be able to do it. So that is kind of where I was at that point. And my dad saying let's turn this car around. This isn't really what you want was the first step in me discovering what I wanted, discovering who I was without all these expectations outside of who I thought I had to be. I thought I had to be the artist. I thought I had to be the writer. I thought I had to be this thing that had been defined for me from the earliest age ever. And this opportunity to say no was the first opportunity of me taking some ownership of myself. Now, I continued to not take ownership for a really long time, but it was like baby steps in the right direction. So we'll start with that next time. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that. This one was a little bit heavy. I struggled to talk about those years in college because those years in college were honestly traumatizing in a way of not being able to trust myself and feeling powerless and afraid and stupid and ashamed. It was a really, really, really hard time in my life. And yeah, we'll talk about the next very hard time in my life in the next episode where I end up moving to China. I get my first job out of college and then I move to China. And then we'll talk about Chloe's experience in corporate America and kind of how my money and relationship with money evolved over time. So, all right. I think that's it for now. That made my brain tired. So I love you guys. And I will see y'all next week for part three of my story. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Money Bear podcast. If you've made it this far, do us a favor, take two seconds, rate, review, and subscribe. It seriously means the world to me. And if you just take a sec to do that, I will appreciate you endlessly. And if you do, let me know on Instagram and I'll thank you personally. So got that. And of course, since we were talking about 
anything financial on this show, please note that nothing on this show is intended as financial advice. I don't know you, unfortunately. And because of that, I cannot tell you what to do with your money. You got to work with a financial professional who knows your situation, who is preferably a fiduciary. And keep in mind that everything that we talk about on this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It's all my opinion. So There's that. If you want to see our full terms and conditions, head on over to the show notes. And while you're there, we've got free resources for you to get started on your money journey down in the show notes as well, including a free guide to help you with your budgeting templates and budgeting tutorials and investing 101, understanding the different accounts that are out there. All that good stuff is inside of my free guide, which is also available at thelazyinvestorscourse.com slash guide. So if you're ready to take our relationship to the next level, I am also hosting a monthly investing class. And that investing class, you can find the times we're offering it this month at thelazyinvestorscourse.com slash webinar. That link is in the show notes as well. And that's where you have the chance to meet me live and ask those money questions live. It's a good time. We've had over 20,000 people as of recording this join or register. And uh, yeah, it's always nice to meet you guys. So I hope to see you there again. All that is available down in the show notes. So thank you again for coming and listening. I appreciate you and I'll see you next week.